Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In our epistle lesson, St. Paul writes about the events in the Old Testament, saying, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. The Lord God had caused all that was recorded in Scripture of the things that happened to be recorded for us, for you and me and all who came before us and all who will come after us until Christ comes again, that is, upon all whom the end of the ages have come. They are examples, but they're not all positive examples. They are not all people or things that we should emulate and copy. Some are recorded for us that we might do the opposite, so that we might not desire evil as they did. Even with the saints and fathers of the faith, we find such examples like Abraham concealing the fact that Sarah was his wife because he was afraid when in Egypt, or Moses striking the rock when the Lord told him to speak to it in order to get water from it. The same goes for many of the examples in Judges and the other historical books. Do not desire evil as they did, rather do the opposite. As one whom Christ has redeemed with his holy and precious blood, and who has been redeemed and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, desire the good, seek to please God, and seek his face. This is important to remember when we get to our gospel lesson this morning, from the gospel according to St. Luke, where Jesus tells us what is often called the parable of the unjust steward, or manager, as it is in our translation. In this parable, if we attempt to find a point-by-point -point comparison, we can easily become confused and miss what our Lord is saying. He begins by addressing his disciples. There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, One hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down, and quickly write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. There really seems to be no good guys in this parable. We have an unjust man, an unrighteous man, a scoundrel of a steward who has been charged with not faithfully carrying out the business of his employer, but instead has been wasting his possessions, and presumably by wasting them, enriching himself. 
When he is confronted by his employer, he does not defend himself because he knows that he was a bad steward and that he has wasted what belongs to another. He needs to get the account books and to hand them over. But before he does that, he uses what little time he has left to do something so that he will be supported when he is fired without needing to take on hard labor or begging. So he calls the debtors one at a time and he sits down with them quickly and draws up new records of debt which are smaller than the ones that they actually owe. This way the debtors will owe him something and give him shelter when he is turned out for his dishonest and unrighteous management. This great fraud adds to the charges already against him. But when the master of the house finds out what is happening, he can only commend him for his shrewd unrighteousness. For he too is a shrewd man and would have done the same thing if he was in his shoes. He still fires the man. He gets nothing but his, the commendation and praise of his former employer for doing just what he would have done. But he is still fired. Really, none of these people are those that we should emulate. Taking advantage of others, stealing, fleecing, committing shady dealings, and hoping not to get caught. This is the way of the world. And we see it over and over and over again, that this is how the worldly act. Even the master commends the unrighteous steward whom he is firing because he is just so shrewd and he, as a shrewd man, has to recognize that in him. As Christ explains, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Yes, the sons of this world, this generation, are more shrewd when dealing with their own than the sons of light are. All they have is the current generation, the current age, the age and time of darkness. All they have is fleeting mammon, fleeting wealth, which flies away at the breath of the morning. Of course, they are shrewd and look for every loophole, every inexperienced buyer or seller to take advantage of, doing things both legal and illegal to get a leg up on their competition or their neighbor. This isn't new. The Old Testament prophets and the wisdom literature, such as the Psalms and the Proverbs, constantly condemn false weights and measures and other ways that people would take advantage of others for their own gain. In fact, false weights and measures, something that appears to be good and is useful for trading and getting a slight advantage, God condemns as despicable as murder in the Proverbs. The New Testament warns of false teachers who deceive people because they are greedy for sinful gain. And in the time of the Reformation, Martin Luther, in his explanation to the Seventh Commandment in the Large Catechism, says that if we punished stealing in the way the commandment actually spoke about stealing, as opposed to simply petty theft like we think about, then all the merchants in all of Germany, Italy, France, and all the rest of Europe would belong to the hangman. Even today, white-collar crime and the fines associated with it are often thought of the cost of doing business. And even if that is not where we are in our lives, how many of us have seen something worth much more than it actually is for sale on a garage sale table and think, I could buy this and sell it for more? 
Our Lord is certainly not suggesting that we be like the sons of this world and their shrewdness in this way. He is not saying that we sons of light who have been redeemed by God and united with the light of the world, Jesus Christ, by faith, participate in their ways by taking advantage of one another and trying to get a leg up either in business or personal interactions, trying to hold favors over one another. No, the point of this parable is found in the mouth of our Lord himself. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Thus, beginning here and continuing on to the end of our pericope, our Lord speaks of the Christian, the sons of light, and their relationship to unrighteous mammon, how we are to use it, how we are to value it, and how we are to deal with it, seeing as it is unrighteous. In the parable, the unrighteous manager, knowing his time was short, made friends for himself by using unrighteous wealth in a sinful way, so that when it would no longer benefit him, he would have a place to stay for a little while. Our Lord tells us, as sons of light, we should use unrighteous wealth, unrighteous mammon, in the proper way. The proper way is to make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. Note, this does not happen in the way that the unrighteous manager works, but because he was a son of the world. Instead, we are to make friends for ourselves by means of unrighteous wealth through almsgiving and other charitable acts. That is why we have more than we need, so that we may consider the poor and help him in his need, so that through our giving, God would bless them and provide for their needs through us, whom he has so blessed. So also that we may consider Christ's flock in our midst and see to the material needs that the congregation may be well equipped for the preaching and sharing of the gospel and the proclamation of the reality of what is happening together as we gather, that the true God who created everything comes into our midst that his Son, Jesus Christ, God and man in one person, descends upon the altar in the bread and the wine to give to us his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, that the Holy Spirit who unites all Christians together is present and working through the read and preached word and through the mutual consolation of the brethren, through the forgiveness of sins. Indeed, we worship in the presence of angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, the pews may look empty, but they are filled, brothers and sisters, with the angelic creatures we cannot see. They fill the place up to the rafters, if they could fill space at all. The unrighteous steward made friends for himself in order to gain something. Christ has called us, brothers and sisters, to make friends for ourselves by unrighteous wealth through helping the poor, feeding them, clothing them, and giving money to their needs that they may be met because God has been merciful to us already. He is speaking in this parable not to the Pharisees, not to all those who are around him, but to his disciples, to those who trusted in him already by faith, to those whom he had justified. For God has done the same to you and I. He has sent his Son as an offering for our sins and called us by the Holy Spirit to believe and so receive forgiveness, life, salvation, union with Christ and all other divine blessings. 
And this is the fruit of faith, that we love our neighbors as ourselves in this way. And in so doing, we befriend Christ, our Savior, who said, Whatever you have done for the least of these, my brothers, you have done unto me. Thus he will receive us according to his grace and mercy into the everlasting tents of life eternal, not because we have earned them by our good works, but by means of his grace through, received through faith is how we enter those tents with these good works as evidence of that saving faith being alive in us. So he moves on after speaking of the proper use of unrighteous wealth by the righteous sons of light to the proper estimation of it when he says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful with which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Thus our Lord shows us how we should value wealth. And it seems strange to say such a thing. The value of wealth is its value. But here, the value of wealth is comparing its value in the present age to that of its value in the age to come, which is more important in the grand scheme of things, unrighteous wealth or the true riches of heaven, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life and salvation from the schemes of the devil who would tempt us to trust in our riches rather than in God and by so doing join him in hell. Thus our Lord calls on us to value unrighteous mammon as a very little compared to the much of heavenly blessings, to value unrighteous wealth as the least thing, to recognize it for what it is. It is unrighteous wealth, not true riches, to see that it is ultimately another's and not our own. Indeed, we too are managers and stewards as well, just like the one from the parable. For we all, for all that we have comes from God and belongs to him still. The moment we die, we will realize this if we have not done so in our own lifetime. In this way, our Lord desires us to see wealth. For if we do, it is that much easier to be freely generous with it and to resist its temptations and lures to unrighteousness. If it has been not that we have seen it in this way, we must repent and turn to God, our merciful Savior, who forgives our sins for Jesus' sake, and who alone gives both material and eternal riches, all through his goodness, grace, love, and mercy for all people. Yes, and such repentance for us is necessary when we, by virtue of our fallen nature, esteem wealth too highly. For as our Lord warns, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In our culture, we often think of each one as his own master. Yet our Lord is clear that this is not the case. Everyone has a master whom they serve. It is either God, the true God, the creator of all things, and our Savior, or it is someone or something that cannot save. Our Lord uses money in this example because 
unrighteous mammon, unrighteous wealth, has such a strong tendency throughout all of history to draw people to it to become its slaves. It is very easy for money to become one's master, for one to become a servant of money. Our Lord warns us that we cannot serve both God and money. It is something we often try to do. We are often tempted to serve both, thinking that we can make the balance, thinking that we can have God just a little higher than our other master money. But our Lord warns us that that is not possible, that we shall not try it, because we will either hate the one and love the other, or to be devoted to one and despise the other. Thus the Christian, the son of light, must constantly resist unrighteous wealth so that it does not become our master. This resistance to unrighteous wealth, to all sin, is part of the mortification of our flesh, empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives in you and I, believers. This includes almsgiving, fasting, and prayer, all of which kill this desire and all of which the Holy Spirit works through when they are done in faith. For almsgiving is the proper use of unrighteous wealth, which, keep, which helps us from becoming slaves to it, resisting its allurements. Likewise, fasting denies the desires of the flesh so that we may feed ourselves spiritually through the word and prayer. Prayer also sets our will to the side and asks that God's will be done, including that he alone be our good and gracious master, who desires to save us, even though our sinful flesh chafes against it. Likewise, resisting the temptation of making money our God includes seeking the true God where he may be found, rather than seeking after idols. For in this place, in his word and in his sacraments, he forgives, strengthens our faith, continues to renew us, refresh us, and conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord. In this way, we may evermore trust in him alone, not money, not our wealth, not anything else in us or in anyone else, but only in Christ alone. For he is our Savior, who has forgiven all of our debts of sin, that by God's grace we may be received into the eternal dwellings which God has prepared for his servants, whom he has redeemed through the precious blood of his Son. And may God grant this unto all of us. Amen.